Welcome back to Kahasa Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing The Tower of Swallows, Chapter 6. So this chapter uh, is essentially the Geralt and Cahir bonding chapter. Um, the, the first half of it is very much moving the plot along, having some fun set-piece action stuff, banter. Then the final bit is the Cahir stuff, and... Much like last chapter, where we're seeing, we saw Geralt mature as a person and admit he was at fault, admit that he was being rash and stupid, and that the little macho tussle he had with Kahir was, you know, out of line. And so here, now he's really sitting down with Kahir and really hashing things out. Um, so the, the, the first bit is fun. Um, you know, we, we get the meet Nightingale, um, and we got confirmation that Shiru, uh, is the elf, uh, the half-elf that, uh, is working for Vilgefortz that hired Nightingale, all this stuff. There's a lot of fun, uh, banter and whatnot as, uh, you know, uh, we get to know Anglomé. Uh, through her interactions with her peers, the 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 criminal underbelly, uh, that she was from Sintra, uh, and that she was of a royal line of some sort, a noble family, but you know was disinherited because she was a bastard and was um, the offspring of a peasant, as well as a nobleman, and so there was like there was, there, there was this entire ordeal, and so that kind of explains why she kind of looks like uh, you know Siri is because we know about some of that stuff to do with the bloodline, that the elder blood kind of spread out and got uh, unwieldy in the way that it spread out across the various families, and whatnot, and so that would explain why she has some sort of semblance to see on as well as it would also explain the other Sintra noble woman who is uh, the fake Siri that is currently operating as real Siri in Nilfgaard and uh, so there's like semblance and genetic stuff going on there and there's this cute moment where um, you know basically Geralt is trying to figure out where he stands with her and he's being the father, and she starts swearing a storm, and he's like, you know, language, watch it. And it's really cute, because it, it's him being overprotective dad, which he's been for a while now, but especially, you know, last chapter we saw the negative side effects of that, and so he, here's him toning it down, but still trying to be that kind of fatherly figure. Of course, she's not Siri, and... Ultimately, what he's trying to do is he's trying to fill that void because he's afraid she's dead. He's afraid Siri's dead. He's afraid that Yen has betrayed him. So he's scared, very, very, very scared of the future, um, which will come into play in the big battle. And so he is filling that void, but it's not working. So with Anglame, you know, he has this, you know, almost fatherly you know, tone with her, but then that all drops the moment that she propositions herself to him. You know, she has grown up in a world in which she was tossed aside, uh, she was put in an orphanage and taken advantage of by uh, horrible people, and the, the horrible priest that ran it sold as basically a sex slave. She knows no other kind of world. And so for her, showing gratitude is to sleep with someone and that 
really is kind of fucked up. It's something I may cover in the future, but there is a storyline in a manga slash anime that I really like called Black Lagoon, which uh, takes a bit of real world history, which is um, having to do with uh, the way uh, you know a, a certain uh, a, you know a certain country treated its orphans in the 70s and 80s and that produces one of the most effed up storylines because the characters are so demented yet they're barely you know uh grown up they're they're eight nine years old you know 10 maybe they're they're children but they've never lived in a world in which they were children and so this kind of fucked up fairy tale kind of atmosphere and something i may cover in the future but it reminded me a whole lot of that um with the uh, hanta and gretel from the uh, that manga and slash anime if you've ever watched it or read it uh, you know what i'm talking about like these people are just in the worst of the worst and so they came out of it screwed up in the head and it's tragic and it's sad and that's part of that story but also here in with Anglume you know she propositions herself and Geralt snaps because he's like you're you're you look like my daughter no no um and it it it's all kind of fucked up from you know that's how she grew up but also the way that Geralt was basically using her as his surrogate daughter and that's not a healthy thing to do and so i think that kind of snapped him out of it and realized no she can't replace siri of course she can't uh, but also i need to protect her in enough different way because she's got a fucked up view of life now because of the life she's had this isn't healthy i i like how Sapkowski what he does um a lot of times with his dialogue he's very clever uh inserting small tidbits and dialogue that really gives you a sense it is a show don't tell sort of way of getting people to show that they are from a different place a different area a different region showing that dialect without outright telling you why they sound that way um his dialogue is very um interesting from that way it's because no character sounds the same uh, because of the, the way he writes them, and yet they all have similarities, is, is clearly someone who is um, thinking about the way language, you know, transfers from region to region, how colloquialisms pick up, how small, insignificant, you know, words become more significant in certain areas you know for a more an americanized deal look at the way in which we refer to pop soda or coke or soda pop at various different regions of the u.s you know they all mean the same thing ultimately but uh it's just the region of how you refer to it so with him you know the dialogue between the dwarf and Angome is very crass is very commoner very um flowery yet of a certain style that signifies that it's it's not too flowery but it's it's flowery for them it's eloquent for them if if you've ever wondered in you know across you know in a town and just walk down a street you would hear different tidbits of conversations and i've heard conversations that sound like that the very they're not incredibly well educated but they are smart and so they are speaking with the words they know and trying to convey their thoughts but it's in a 
fashion that is not of your traditional pompous learned speak, if that makes any sense. And he's really good at that. I don't understand anybody who says his dialogue is unnatural or his dialogue is awful. Look at this. Look at the craftsmanship, the, the, the technical function of it, the way he shows not tells through the way his characters talk and the verbiage they use. And this is a translated text too. Like that, it's fascinating uh, to me in a way in which um, to others it's not, which is really saddening, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but when we get to the big confrontation with Nightingale's men, Nightingale himself, and eventually Shiru as well, um, we see how Shiru always knew that Geralt was Geralt. And so he played along to get a hold of Medallion, which is important for later. But uh, we see how Geralt has kind of just lost himself. Like, he has been losing himself for a while, but now we really see the purpose of it, or the lack of purpose, uh, really, uh, and Kahir calls him out on it. At the end of the big battle, you know, the, they, they go from fighting Nightingale's men to negotiating with Shiru to being caught in a trap to the freedom fighters of the area freeing them, but also being opposed to them because, you know, they don't, that they weren't there for them. And so there's just this kind of like comedy of errors kind of thing. Uh, Geralt at one point bleeding and of course, here with the hatchet wound um, and whatnot, he grabs his uh, grabs his sword, grabs his horse, and he is ready to bolt at Shiru and kill him. And he even says, "Shiru must die," you know. Um, and he's not thinking anymore. Um, he, that that sort of macho attitude that was prevalent, especially last chapter when he confronts Kahir, is taken up a notch. But not in the not in the toxic way it was with Kahir, but more of the he wants to die. This is a suicidal thing he's about to do. He's about to charge in, you know, guns blazing basically, um, and he's going to get killed without a doubt. He would not survive that encounter. Plus, if he managed to kill Shiru, they wouldn't get any of the information they came for, which means that well, that was useless. Um, and so it's a pure bloodlust. He, he feels like he has nothing to live for anymore. He feels like he's been betrayed by Yen. He feels like Siri is dead. And so he goes out on a blaze of glory, a good death, and it would have been nothing at all, which is why it takes Uncle May, of course, the one person who looks like Siri in this situation, who tells him, fuck no, get the fuck out of here. And when he looks at it, he goes, right. You know, he refocuses. And I think that's important is that Geralt right now is on basically damage control kind of suicidal area. You know, as I've talked about, I talked about this last time too, is when Geralt has felt like he's lost everything is when he changes the most. And with here, he is, he's changed, but he's also fearful. And so he's regressing. And so he's like a child lashing out in a way that is stupid, immature, but it's very Geralt. He's a very stubborn man. 
and very stuck in his ways with the way he looks at things and very much of a as i've talked about the 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 emotional comfort blanket of that he's a witcher he's a killing machine he has no emotions none of that's true but he likes to believe it so that he can ignore his true feelings and of course here he's doing just that he is a killing machine he did the, he was in a bloodlust we open this chapter with an excerpt from monstrum portrayal of witchers explaining that to a wit uh, that a witcher's uh to uh, the adrenaline a witcher gets from killing is the same as an orgasm it's not true at all uh, we know the fact that Monstrum was a completely hyperbolic, uh, fictional uh, account of witchers to drive up, you know, the sense of wanting uh, to kill them, the prejudice that eventually led to the sacking of Karen Morin. But at the end of the day, um, he has devolved into that because he doesn't want to feel anymore. He doesn't want to feel the pain he has. Which, of course, comes back when, after all this, after the fighting, after they, they escape, after Angame goes to, to where Regis is, uh, and, uh, and uh, Kahir and Geralt have to uh, travel alone, and, of course, Kahir is severely wounded, so Geralt has to take care of him, Geralt begins to see how idiotic he was. He's thrust into a situation where he has to look after a man he has despised forever. Um, and thinks is like horrible, horrible human being until he's gotten to know him and then kind of realized he was actually kind of good. Um, and as that respect between them grows, we get Kahir's side of the story. Um, and of course, I've talked about that the uh, Kahir and Siri stuff is about misinterpretation, misunderstandings. That's the overarching theme of their stuff. But this is where we get the whole picture. Uh, go back to the opening chapter of Blood of Elves and read Ciri's account through her nightmare of what happened at the slaughter of Sintra. Then read Kahir's account of it. Very different. One is through the eyes of a scared young girl who's just watched her entire world that she knows go up in flames. Her grandmother die. Everything has gone to hell. And uh, it's pure misery and the other one is a knight who has been given a mission and through the chaos is trying to accomplish his mission in the best way possible we see through that the eyes of a young man and a young girl and the differences of their perspectives and how that coalesces to siri this is frightening to kahir this was a rescue and so in between that lies the truth and as we come to find out a lot of the reason Ciri is so afraid of the knight, the 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 black knight with the the the, uh, the wings of the bird of prey, is because she was covered through you know through the mess of soot, mud, blood, shit, ash. She needed to be clean, so Kahir tried to clean her, and he was trying to be very gentle about it. He knew the perception of what it would look like, but she misinterpreted it as a rape attempt. Um, in her young girl's eyes, she didn't see that this was a man trying to help her, trying to be kind, that yes, he is of the enemy, but he is not an enemy, so to speak. She didn't understand it. She didn't understand the nuance. She was too scared to understand. And so that, you know, with everything that happened with him coming to get her, 
um, you know, and, and the, the the image of the, the of his armor just kind of supplanted in her mind a fearsome, you know, evil black knight of pure hatred and misery, and that's why when in, when she got the Thanid, and she confronted him, you know, in she realizes he's just a kid just like me, and sort of lets him live. Now we understand that. Kahiro was never malicious. He was never cruel. He was never a villain. He was just misunderstood because the little girl was very, very scared and didn't know how to interpret the situation. And of course, Kahiro, um, you know, got locked up for a bit and he was plagued by dreams of Siri, but not Siri as he knew her when he rescued her from the slaughter of Sintra, not Siri as, as she was with Geralt. But Siri in the future, or as we know her, the present, with her rose tattoo, her time with the rats, everything. That's the woman he saw, you know, before any of that actually happened chronologically. Meaning that he is connected to her in some way, some sort of magical destiny, if you will, who knows if that's true or not. You know, but he has, um, you know, a care for her. And he has quite literally become, because he has lost, you know, his sense of self as he's been locked up by, uh, you know, his own country twice, tortured, etc. That he's kind of become disillusioned. And so he's quite literally be fallen in love with the girl of his dreams. The girl of his dreams is a future version of Siri, And so it's all kinds of chronologically and magically twisted. But in a way, the Black Knight is really the White Knight. The knight in shining armor. You get it? That's the joke. Is that, the uh, you know, in a fairy tale, in a conventional fairy tale, here would either be lumped into the pure, you know, evil knight who takes over the kingdom, or... Uh, the, the, the knight in shining armor who rescues the princess from the dragon. He's really neither of those. Uh, he is he is a white knight, a good person, a young man in a situation way above his head. Um, and is, is caught up in all sorts of emotions and feelings. And it's just a mess for him. And I think that's really interesting is to... That this pivot we've been seeing of Kahiro, I've always really loved, because you remember that stark, you know, description of the Black Knight. You open Blood of Elves with it, you're constantly reminded of it through her nightmares, and, and then occasionally seeing things, scenes with him, but in which he's never named, and it's always from a different character's perspective. Uh, so he seems different, uh, he seems more menacing. And then that all goes away when when Thanet happens and we get the reveal of who he is. And then Baptism of Fire really, you know, humanized him, really let him come into his own as a member of the party, the member of the Hansum, and, and a friend. But now here we get the emotional weight of what that means and why he is the way he is. And I, I love that pivot. It, it, it's so unconventional. It's very, um, it's something that, that works very well in book, 
um, because you don't, you are not able to see the character, so you're able to envision this evil of most vilest of persons. And then when you realize he's just a young kid, that perception changes. Because with a book, of course, you don't have pictures. I'm not sure how it would work anywhere else. You know, Netflix has done their own thing with him. Me and Josh have talked about that. I'm not really here to talk about that, but like, you know. I'm not sure how it would work in adaptation. There would be a lot of uh, thought that would have to go into conveying that pivot in an adaptation. But in a book, it works so well because you envision one thing, come to realize he's another, and then more and more evolves so that you understand, oh, that's what this was all about. And Geralt's bonding with him is just really nice because you have two men who are bonded to Ciri in some way, different ways. One bonded as a child, one bonded as an adult. And, um, you know, they are both people who are seen as, uh, you know, presumed to be evil. Witchers are vile creatures, emotionless killing machines, according to the populace, you know. Uh, here started out as the Black Knight with the wings of a bird of prey, the, you know, the um, very vile a man who kidnapped Siri, right? But as we've gotten to know them, we understand that that's not who they are. That's just the public perception of who they are. And so these are people both bound to Siri in some way or another at different points in her life with the same public perception uh, and same overall moral outlook. And I think that's interesting to convey, especially because if you remember in uh, The Bounds of Reason, uh, Ike Donnell was used as sort of a, you know, how does a witcher, Geralt in particular, appear when put next to a traditional fairy tale knight? And so now we have that again, but not only in more depth, but in the reverse. And I think that is really clever and really cute. So yeah, this this chapter is is one of the shorter ones, um, but it is a good for the character development. It's very important for Geralt and Cahir's overall arc, um, and the first half serves as sort of you know where the last chapter was, you know, less of the the funniness to break up the the uh, the, the the bleakness of the series stuff, and, and more of developing the plot for Geralt's side of things. Uh, you know, this chapter has more of the, the fun, the, the action, uh, the ridiculousness, the banter at the first half, and then really delves into the characters in the second half, and that really coalesces the chapter into being a very interesting one. Um, and, you know, now that Shiru has Geralt's medallion, um, there's this line that Geralt has uh, when he's talking about that he rarely sees dreams of Siri anymore and when he does he can't remember them fully uh, is that something inside him is broken. Geralt has lost again and he was snapped out of losing his own life but now he's lost the symbol that has been used to represent him. So now he's in conflict with himself and that will come into play next chapter which I will be joined by Josh for. So see you then. Bye.